Hello and welcome to After Press, the podcast from Passenger Transport. My name is Robert Jack, editor of Passenger Transport, and I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed colleague, Andrew Garnett. Hello! As ever, we are socially distanced by about 400 miles. I'm in Edinburgh and Andrew is in his secret location in the southwest of England, but we are brought together by the wonder of technology. We finished last edition of Passenger Transport last week and we're recording this on Tuesday, May 15. Andrew, we've had a weekend in between. We have. Now I'm going to press and, and some <laughs> new freedoms have been bestowed, bestowed upon us. What, what have you been doing with yourself? Um, right, well, uh, first of all, last night I went I went to the local pub inside for the first time, which was lovely. Oh, fantastic. Um, and more importantly, though, I've mowed my first ever lawn. <laughs> I've never mowed a lawn until until last night, and I have did it with much aplomb. I even sent you a little picture, didn't I, of it? Yeah, you did, and it, it looked fantastic. One, one of the benefits of living in a, in, a, in a flat is you don't have to mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I've never done one before. You know, after twenty years in flats, and as a child, it was always the preserve of my father who would never let anyone near a mower. So, um, yeah, but it was very exciting. But anyway, what have you done? You've probably done exciting. Well, I haven't. Things. I I haven't been to the pub yet, but oh. I did go on um, a bus trip up to the beach in the other oh. side of Edinburgh. Uh, took uh, four buses, in fact. Oh. Uh, wife and my son, and um, yeah, it was very good. Um, not many people on the buses, as you might imagine. A lot of people out in cars, um, which is a bit of a worry, and we'll kind of come on to that sort of theme mm-hmm. later on. Um, but um, uh, but finally, some nice weather as well. Love that. Yes, that's well. No, it's just yeah. been raining here, but never mind. <laughs> we should, <laughs> anyway, should we, we should press probably, on? Cross yeah, on, let's talk transport. Press. Let's talk transport. Uh, this is our post press debrief. So uh, regular listeners will know that we pick through this week's edition and draw your attention to some areas of interest. We're going to kick off with our lead story, mm. safe, safe and desirable. No, it's not a creepy dating profile. <laughs> it's, what, <laughs> it's what Broad Coalition is urging the Prime Minister to say about public transport. Let me explain. With lockdown restrictions continuing to ease, Boris Johnson has been urged to send a loud and clear message of support for public transport. An unprecedented coalition of organisations representing shops, offices, restaurants, venues, public transport providers and trades unions have written to Johnson, urging him to encourage people back onto buses and trains as restrictions are lifted. A failure to get people back onto public transport risks towns and cities where people are more reliant on buses buses and trams being left behind, they warn. Coordinated by the Sustainable Transport Charity Campaign for Better Transport, the letter has been endorsed by leading business, leisure, hospitality organisations, including the British Chambers of Commerce, the British Retail Consortium, UK Hospitality and the CBI. Paul Toey, the um, Chief Executive of Campaign for Better Transport, says, As England prepares to take the next step out of lockdown, it's vital that the government sends a loud and clear message that travelling by public transport is safe and desirable. Without this, we risk slowing down the high street recovery as many people will simply stay away or worse seeing towns and cities more reliant on public transport being left behind while car heavy areas experience increased pollution and congestion the letter has also been endorsed by key transport bodies including the delivery rail delivery group confederation of passenger transport and the urban transport group it calls upon the government to aid a full revival of the retail leisure and hospitality businesses by helping to restore people's confidence in using public transport. Um, there are three main requests, but I think I'm going to come back to those later on. 
I think, you know, I just what are your initial thoughts on this, Andrew? I, I think for me, I think this chimes with my experience at the weekend of seeing some very congested roads and lightly used public transport. Um, and, and, you know, the, the risk we are, you know, that, that tells me that we might see if if we, we have people safe to sit down in pubs and cafes and museums, um, even going back to the football, but still not getting on buses and trains. I, th- I think that's the risk we face. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it needs some sort of um, public campaign or urging, you know, to to point out that public transport is actually safe because you know all the research sort of suggests that it is, doesn't it? So um, it'd be good to see, you know, government really kind of leading on this and and or governments I mean... rather leading on it and you know pointing out that public transport is not this horrible biohazard scary place to be it's um yeah it should be um, it, you know we all need to get back on board the letter itself made three main requests mm. the first was uh, send a, a, a visible message that buses and trains are safe mm. uh, when you're using appropriate measures like face coverings uh, and they want ministers and others to be seen using public transport oh yes that that would absolutely that, yeah we could do with that couldn't we yeah um, you know uh, uh, sooner, sooner the better. Uh, take uh, the second is to take a balanced and pragmatic approach towards public transport in the ongoing review into social distancing, recognizing that the significant importance of buses and trains and trams to the economic recovery and air quality. Now we're going to we're going to talk about that in a wee bit, aren't we? Because yep. since we um, since we actually published, there's been a, a development on on social distancing, which you, which you're going to talk about. Mm. So should we just move to the third, and that that is to make it simple. And easy for people to choose to pay for their fare and know they're getting the best deal. And that will be done by reforming fares and ticket retailing across public transport to help passengers and businesses in the recovery. And we know that some public transport operators have done this sort of thing, haven't they, already? Yes. Others have not. Um, yeah. I think It's not rocket science, though, at the end of the day, really, is it? Yes. <laughs> Sorry yeah, yeah. to be a little bit controversial there, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, should we should we move on to uh, social distancing and, and what what happened after we went to press? Yes, indeed. Links very closely to this this story. Indeed, uh, yeah. So earlier this month, uh, Baroness Veer, who is the buses minister, she wrote to Graham Vidler, who is chief executive of the Confederation of Passenger Transport, and it was following a meeting where um, where Vidler proposed a risk based assessment to increase vehicle capacity as a result of increasing demand. In the letter, uh, which we've seen, uh, Veer writes, each operator should be encouraged to implement safety measures, including social distancing measures, based on their circumstances and the unique nature of their operation, as well as learnings obtained throughout the pandemic. Wherever possible, operators should be encouraged to adopt a consistent approach across services to avoid confusion amongst passengers. We appreciate that social distancing rules constrain seating capacity and that these vary across fleets and individual vehicle configurations. We also understand that there will be certain circumstances where one metre social distancing of passengers and staff will not always be possible. Um, Veer continues that while two metres is not possible, one metre is acceptable providing there are suitable um, mitigations. So I I assume this is this one metre plus rule that we heard quite a bit about in the last um, 
six or seven months. Um, she says yeah. mitigations could include enhanced cleaning regimes, the mandating of face coverings for all not exempt passengers. That's a can of worms. Passengers not sitting face to face or directly behind others and protective screens for driving staff. Now, um, the industry reacted pretty quickly to this. Transdev Blazefield, for example, has launched its hashtag back to bus campaign that has seen increased capacity as part of England's loosening of restrictions. Um, Transdev say will still be restricting some seats on buses, those which face sideways or are face to face with other seats. All other seats will be available to use and will be encouraging customers to sit where there are spaces rather than stand when they're on the bus. Now, um, switching from uh, Transdev in the north of England to Transport for London, uh, they uh, revised things on the network as well. Now, you remember how um, Mayor Sadiq Khan scrapped fares and introduced centre-door boarding at the start of the first lockdown? Yes. yeah. Now, that was watered down with the reintroduction of fares and also suitable mitigations to protect staff because you probably remember there was a huge hoo-ha about um, driver safety. Yeah. Um, and that saw things like capacity capped on buses. Well, in the capital this week, they have reverted to full seating capacity of the vehicle. And, like in the case of Blazefield, the only seats that will not be in use are any rear-facing seats where there is a forward-facing seat within two metres. So that's basically the um, seats over the rear axle and the majority of buses. And seats by the driver's cab are now being brought back into use. So there's some very big changes um, for buses from this week as part of the loosening of restrictions. So th this is a, a huge boost for buses then. This is putting indeed. the mass putting the mass back into mass transit. Yes, indeed. And, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, there's no capacity restrictions, it seems to be. The, all those seats that we saw, those pictures have been taped off out of use. They're back in play, apart from those rear-facing ones. So it's sort of back to normality almost. Yes. Yeah, I mean, people will understandably be apprehensive about travelling, especially if they haven't been out much, especially if they have underlying health conditions. Um hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I, you know, a lot of operators have put in place things like capacity checkers and things like that. And I think you could probably avoid traveling at busier times. Uh, yes. I, I don't see many busy buses traveling around at the moment. No, no. Uh, I, I, I can't say that I felt in any way sort of unsafe using services at the weekend. I felt like, you know, we no. were all sort of... But I think, I think uh, buses are now, and well, public transport largely is now pretty clean place to be with things like you know enhanced cleaning regimes and things like that but it's the fear factor we've discussed about this before haven't we how you know there's this fear factor amongst it's just a human nature isn't it that you know mm. of when you do something for the first time i was a bit concerned when i first used public transport you know after the end of the first lockdown but it's just going to cross that that bridge really haven't you and yeah, it's going to be fascinating, and yeah. as with so many aspects of our lives, how quickly we snap back to what yeah. we did before. Um, yeah. You know, as restrictions allow, of course. Mm. Um, yeah, this this is this really allows the industry, presumably, to wean itself off the emergency funding mm. uh, as as quickly as it as it can. Uh, there's some some element of funding, presumably, will have to remain in place for for the foreseeable future. You would imagine, but. I mean, there was some good encouraging statistics. I think, did you say Transdev Blazefield was up yes. to 71%? Yeah, yeah that's right. So, yeah, just to go back to um, 
Transdev Blazefield again. Um, they um, last week I, I asked Alex Hornby about how they were doing. Who's he's chief executive of Transdev Blazefield? As I'm sure everyone knows, and um, their most recent data suggested that 71% of fare-paying uh, passengers had returned to the bus, and 48% of um, people who have free concessionary passes. So. It's climbing back slowly, but they actually had their best day uh, for patronage since March 2020 on uh, May the 5th. Um, and they're actually increasing frequencies, particularly on um, the coastline of service, so to Scarborough from um, York and Leeds. So I think, you know, going for that staycation market. Th- those figures are quite encouraging, aren't they? Mm. I, mean, I think I recall some operators talking about maybe hoping to get to sort of 85% of pre-pandemic patronage mm. um th- those figures from alex uh, at a time when restrictions remain in play or were still in place um at a time when actually you know it's been it's, not, it's been quite a cold month hasn't it really the weather has not been yeah no amazing. it's not been great uh, has it and of course lots of lots of things were locked down yeah. yes a lot of things locked down so that, that shows there's there's some potential to to really take that up mm, significantly so uh Fingers crossed for for the sector on yes. On that. So I mean, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see what happens, won't we, over the next few weeks? It'd be interesting after you know see what happens after this week with things being loosened in England and uh, and most of Scotland. So we'll see what happens. Yes. Well, moving on, Andrew, you you wrote a piece this time mm. about Andy Burnham's pledge to put buses at the heart of his second term as mayor of Greater Manchester. And uh, you're going to tell us a bit about that, aren't you? Yes, so um, Andy Burnham uh, pledged to place public transport at the heart of his second term as Mayor of Greater Manchester, announced plans for a single black and yellow B network, that's B as in uh, Bumblebee, for the region's buses by 2024. At a press conference convened on the morning of his victory, uh, that's where Andy Burnham's share of the vote for Labour actually increased from 63% in 2017 to 67%. He pledged to work towards extending um, Metrolink to Middleton and roll out new cycle house scheme and also uh, 100 kilometres of new walking and cycling routes. Burnham also said he would begin talks with Network Rail to make the region's railway stations fully accessible within four years. Um, If this target proved impossible, he then vowed he would take control of those stations. But it was buses were... Uh, Burnham really pledged to make rapid and swift changes. Following his election, he said his victory showed a resounding mandate for bringing buses back under public control. Um, He said catching a bus in Harper Hay in Greater Manchester should cost the same as catching a bus in Haringey in London. The former cost around £4, he claimed, while in London the fare would be £1.50. Burnham said the government needed to work with areas to solve that or levelling up would not happen. Burnham now plans to bring forward delivery of uh, that franchise bus network, which he agreed to prior to the election by 12 months. He vowed the entire network would be in place within three years with the fully integrated B network delivered by May 2024. He told journalists to assemble at the press conference in Salford Keys he travelled there from Middleton in Greater Manchester. It cost him £5.30. Burnham said he then planned to travel by bus into the city centre, and that would cost an extra £2.80. So obviously we're over £8 there, and that's a journey of, what, 10 miles, he said? It's a lot of money, and that's what needs to change. Transport is holding this city region 
back. So, quite a quite an advancement there of um, of the plans that they had in place before his election. Yes, it's interesting to see him accelerate the plans. Um, I think there is the, the the case with Stagecoach comes forward. Do we get a result of that next month? I think month? it is, yeah, that's right. But I think that so it's going to end up with, I suspect they're not going to give in with a f- out of fight, are they? Um, so it's just a case of what really happens, <laughs> isn't it, really? But at the same time, this this obviously does seem like the direction of travel. This is what, you know, it was a, it's a popular policy... Uh, writing about it in this edition, Jonathan Bray uh, will come back to his column later on, actually. Yeah. But he says, uh, just as uh, Boris Johnson's London experience and red wall ambitions have convinced him that buses are good politics for the Conservatives, uh, Andy Burnham's decision to go all out for franchising has cut through perhaps more than any other single non-London mayoral initiative ever has done. It's the only big mayoral policy that most national journalists can name. Taking back control of buses in Greater Manchester spoke to the conurbation sense of self like little else could. Mm. So franchising in Manchester, yeah, one to watch, I think. It's going to be... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it really... I think it has become sort of this big strategy, hasn't it? It was all over BBC News about it, the um, morning of his election. So it's obviously, you know, it's in the public consciousness really isn't it and it's sort of I had the feeling it was a bit sort of Ken Livingston the way it was sort of all done and spoken about I don't know what do you Mm. think do you think it had that sort of air to it yes definitely I mean there's there's echoes of of that for sure what do you think of B Network as a a brand (laughs) they're going to have black and yellow stripes well it's sort of I think it works because there was all the you know the Manchester B thing it sort of works I think yes isn't it um, yeah. yeah, I imagine a lot of people, industry people, get upset about um, you know kind of one uniform brand. But let's just see what happens. Basically, let's see. They'll have uh, to. See the depots works. will have to be renamed Hives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there could be quite a honeypot for people uh, bidding for those contracts. <laughs> well, they're great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so should, should we move on to the the next item? Yes. Uh, it comes from our innovation and technology section, and it is big data boost for bus lanes. Ooh. Data specialist CitySwift claims that its bus data engine can provide Ooh. evidence-based insights that will help local authorities and bus operators identify the best locations to put bus priority measures. Now, it's worth recapping that the government's national bus strategy for England says that bus service improvement plans must include plans for bus lanes on, and this is the big stuff, any roads where there is a frequent bus service, congestion and physical space to install one. That's the, the jaw-dropping line that we, we, we'll, be wanting to hold, we'll be wanting to hold them to that. Bus service improvement plans must be created by October 2021. As everybody now knows, this gives local authorities and bus operators less than five months to review their networks and identify where it is appropriate to introduce these new bus lanes and other bus priority measures. Now, Galway-based CitySwift believes it can help here because, uh, in the words of uh, James McCarthy, the company's head of operations, in a blog post this week, we've been analysing what happened to buses during lockdown. The stay-at-home order effectively resulted in a massive, albeit unintended, experiment on what happens to buses in free-flowing traffic. 
We now know how much time can be saved if buses are not bogged down in congestion, and it's huge. Bus journey improvements varied between 10 and 200%. Yes, 200%. On one major city corridor, bus speeds increased from a walking pace of 3.5 miles an hour to 13 miles an hour. James says it's not difficult to imagine how fast, dependable journey times like this could transform the attractiveness of bus services with benefits for passengers, operators and stakeholders alike. The free-flowing traffic conditions during lockdown effectively replicated what could happen in normal times if extensive bus priority measures were implemented. We can use this data to provide reliable estimates about journey time savings that can be achieved if new bus priority schemes are implemented on any given corridor. Armed with this data, bus operators and local authorities can sit down together and robustly analyse the benefits of bus priority measures. And he concluded, increasing bus speeds by 10 miles an hour might not sound much to the average person, but in terms of cost savings, it's enormous. Factor in the journey times improvement to both future and, and, and current bus passengers it's a virtuous cycle for all concerned. So it's a it's a fascinating insight, isn't mm. it? That that that, that, that bus operators and, and and folk like City Swift now have got this mine of data and, and what happens in the in the lockdown experiment, as as James McCarthy terms it. Well, it was, wasn't it? It was a huge sort of experiment. We didn't realise it at the time, but we were sort of finding data which revealed what buses can actually do if they're allowed to actually run <laughs> yes. rather than being stuck in traffic and that sort of thing. So yeah, it is. It's a massive experiment that the, you know, law of unintended consequences and all that. Yeah. It's a very timely experiment too, isn't it? Coming ahead of this, mm. presumably, you know, what we're going to see is a step change. If, if, you know, if the government is true to its words in this strategy uh, and, and it, it appears to be at the moment, we are going to see a massive extension of bus lanes. Um, it, in, in English towns and cities. Mm, absolutely. Um, I, I was my, my experience at the weekend was obviously not in an English town or city. It was in the the, 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 the Scottish capital. Um, stuck in a bus lane in heavy traffic on a Sunday. It's well, <laughs> always fun, isn't it? Functions as a bus lane <laughs> Monday to Friday. Uh, I had used that bus service during the pandemic. Not very much. I'd made minimal journeys on, on the bus during the, 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 the lockdown period. Uh, and it, it was amazing seeing the, the service fly through the city and having to stop at timing points and stop to try and sort of oh, slow yeah. itself down. Of course, and, and now, of course, you know they they you know it, these bus and actually that's one other thing that's in the strategy. They are quite clear that that they want if you if you're not hoping to make these if you're hoping not to make these bus lanes twenty four seven, you better have a good reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's also interesting about how many times have we heard um, bus people saying to us about how you know having to put more resource in because of congestion. Mm. If you suddenly whip that out, you're going to make serious savings, aren't you? Seriously, yeah. I mean the, the 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 figure that gets bandied around is it's not sort of three hundred thousand pound per bus per year or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So even if you take well even taking one bus out of the cycle that's um you know because you increase in speeds not cutting frequencies or anything like that that's significant money that's been saved really isn't it so huge money and, mm. and even greater money if we're talking about electric vehicles too yeah yeah absolutely uh, and, and when you consider that you probably be running your electric vehicles on your uh 
most polluted core corridors, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, 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 that correlation. So the, the, the fact is these, these savings will be spread across routes, spread across cities, spread across the country. And if you factor that up, I think it's arguably the most significant part of the bus strategy and, mm. and arguably, you know, more, I would say, much more important than three billion, which yeah. is obviously very welcome. But it's, it appears to be a one off cash injection just to give the industry a shot in the arm. But, but the real shot in the arm, the real game changer would mm. be that permanent reallocation of road space to give the buses some track to mm. operate on. Well, yeah, you, we, well, you just said how frustrating it is to just sit there in traffic. And, um, yeah, I took, did bus journeys, you know, after that first lockdown and in London. And, crikey, it was just so fast, the journeys. <laughs> My bet noir was always the 53 from um, south-east London into central London. And, uh, you know, it, t- it could take forever at peak. But I think um, I did it after that first lockdown, it took a ridiculously quick journey. And it was all because it was all free-flowing traffic, no congestion. So, um, yeah, who knows? I think, could this be the future? Hopefully. Yeah. Well, should we move on to our final Mm. item, which is uh, Jonathan Bray's column, uh, which I obviously mentioned uh, Jonathan's comments on Manchester early on, but his column in the latest edition is called The Hard Work Begins, Fight Smart. Mm. Now, I urge everybody to read this piece in its entirety, and it, you can actually see it on our website. If you go there, passengertransport.co.uk, you can uh, find it in the in the slider at the moment at the top of the page. Jonathan considers the situation that public transport now finds itself in, hooked on life support by emergency, uh, to emergency government funding, and warns that the tough bit is about to start. The government filled the funding gap, writes Jonathan, But if, and it's a big if, we are moving beyond the pandemic's ability to trigger another set of significant restrictions on movement, then the existential threat to the industry is no longer there. And then what happens to funding? June 21 is in Whitehall's mind, the point at which the transition, we transition away from emergency funding. What comes next is very much up for grabs. He goes on to set out the arguments for the optimists, like me, and the pessimists, like Andrew. <laughs> <Rude>. <laughs> and he urges the sector to fight smart. So what does a, fa- a smart fight back look like? Jonathan offers a helpful summary. One, find ways of getting people and politicians excited about public transport. Two, nurture every brave initiative that emerges to even up the score between the cost of using cars and the cost of using public transport, whilst picking some strategic fights with expensive and regressive transport policies that are obviously past their sell-by date. Um, For example, what Jonathan terms the zombie national roads (laughs) programme. Three, keep your eyes on the decarbonisation prize. All rails and bus lanes lead to Glasgow. Four, think about fares, fares again, of course, here, when seeking to win back as much as we had uh, as possible, and in growing new markets where we can't. So, yeah, what, what, do, we, what do we make of that? Uh, we need to fight smart. So I think there's some very good points here. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it does. Um, it, we, we said about it, you know, the, the kind of post-virus period creates this period to reboot things a bit, really, doesn't it? And I think maybe... Um, yeah, I, well, I, I think they should get a little bit angsty and... Um, and think about strategies to, to push public transport because 
I think every, it felt at times for the past couple of decades that the industry has at times been on a bit of a back foot. So it'd be good to see them actually, you know, pushing on, pushing forward. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Jonathan raises it in his article, but an example of uh, obviously he's attacked the the spending. I think it's twenty seven billion, isn't it, on the the the, the roads program? Mm. But the rail delivery group has actually come out and fronted up in the media, making the case for air passenger duty not to be cut. Uh, but that does seem to be a, a, a clever thing, an important thing to do to speak out and actually sort of make that case publicly. You look what's going on in other European countries, such as Germany, and the way they're sort of prioritising rail over domestic flights. Um, mm. You know, we need to start thinking along those lines mm. in the in the UK. My friend actually just sent me a message. I, I could not believe this happened, but he told me that my my, my club Hibernian are playing uh, Arsenal in a pre-season friendly this this uh, July. And he told me that Arsenal flew their team to an away game in Norwich. The flight take the flight takes fourteen minutes. <laughs> oh, can I be a plane nerd and say this happens all the time? Honestly, really? yeah, it happens all the time. It's like they they fly from I think like was it Liverpool or Manchester? They flew they did flew somewhere bizarre as well. It was like well, that yeah. It just astonished me that you could have a, a, a flight so short for you know a two hour journey. You know. <laughs> Yeah, on, there was one, I think there was a couple of years ago. There was a famous one, wasn't there? About it was literally something like like London to Norwich or something like that. It was just it was absurd, or or mm. like Leeds to Norwich or something like that. But yeah, it's absurd, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, on the positive side, mm. there's also a Welsh government has a mandate through the Labour. Party's manifesto now to pursue the commitment in its transport strategy to develop a fair and equitable road user charging in Wales and explore other dis- disincentives to car use. Now I would say that's part of a sort of a a wider sort of political shift, I think, in favour of sort of pro-public transport and towards car constraint that I'm not suggesting will be a uh, without any sort of turbulence along the way, but it's <laughs> cer- certainly a a welcome sign, I think, of of, sort of pennies dropping and uh, yeah. the reality that you know things can change, will change, well, hope must change. I'm, I'm going to pick myself up off the floor though about the Welsh government um, mandates. <laughs> you imagine that? You can imagine you know sort of remember after the um, oil protests or fuel protests? Was it that was twenty years ago, wasn't it? You know, however, government sort of backtracked from anything controversial. Maybe that legacy of those protests is finally ending, and um, we can actually start talking about these controversial thoughts and ideas. I yeah, I, I wonder how much those fuel protests really set back transport policy, and oh, the government at the time so. really seemed to run scared of them completely, and yeah. completely dropped talking about modal shift, yeah, and backed away. Altogether, really, and tried to take transport out of the headlines. Yeah, so maybe, maybe it's finally. It took twenty years, but perhaps we're we're getting beyond that. Um, you know, national bus strategy, talk of road user charging, things like that. I think uh, well, Jonathan also in his article he says about how there was this um, low traffic neighbourhoods. Remember, my, remember my on a previous podcast, my my discussion about Vanessa Feltz 
and her angst about them when I was living in London. Um, he actually, Jonathan, in his article, he points out how um, there was this this sup supposed feeling about how much anti-low traffic neighbourhoods movement there was in London, and it actually, you know, turns out mayor election didn't really make much headway, really, did it? So no, my my I thought that UKIP were the only party who came out as being against them. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if UKIP. I don't think UKIP got a good big pulse <laughs> from that. <laughs> No, they've sort of lost so, their raison d'etre, haven't they? <laughs> as ever, I think with transport policy, I wonder if we see a very vocal and angry minority that that sometimes the media can assume is the people, when yeah. actually, no, it's it's, it's a not. very vocal and angry minority. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, I, I, actually, I saw some polling on low-traffic neighbourhoods, which also suggested that um, the overwhelming majority of Labour voters were in favour of them, and actually a majority of Tory voters too. Oh, uh, and presumably the politicians have got their eyes on that. So, if you remember back to our podcast where I mentioned Vanessa Feltz, obviously Christopher Biggins has got it all wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to retell my Christopher Biggins story. <laughs> if I, did that I, I think that I think that was an after press high point, personally. But, uh, <laughs> your Christopher but I, Biggins anecdote. <laughs> but I, I am going to persuade you to do your Vanessa Feltz impression one day on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think our list. I don't think our listener is quite ready for that, Robert. Just yet. <laughs> so uh, another uh, the talking points we've got here from uh, Jonathan's article. Another one is quite interesting. Is that Jonathan says that the bus strategy feels like the strongest card that we have. Uh, he says, after all, what sense would it make to take decisions on funding post June twenty one, which lead to affairs hikes and service cuts mm. on public transport when we have a PM-backed bus strategy, which promises the exact opposite. As far as kryptonite to use on the treasury, <laughs> to use on the treasury goes, it's the best we've got. Yes, yeah. I mean that 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 surely is another fantastic thing for the industry. That the, the timing of the bus strategy being mm. first they, they announced they were going to do it, obviously, and then the pandemic struck. It, it's a fantastic insurance yeah. policy, safety net, or however you want to term it, for the the bus yeah. sector right now. And, I'm sure there are people who perhaps would like to feel safer than they are, but yeah. crikey, it could be so much worse. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, there's, there's the groundswell of the pandemic when there was a lot of goodwill about to the bus industry for moving key workers. There's, um, mm. yeah, there's lots of things in play, isn't there? I don't think, I think it, it is kryptonite really, isn't it? As having Boris Johnson having signed off, I love buses. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Well, steady, you're sounding optimistic there. Oh, God. <laughs> We're doomed. And, uh, <laughs> one, one last point to make on this, actually. Jonathan suggested that we should find other ways of getting politicians excited about public transport. One of the things that seems to get talked about quite a lot is free fares, and it has been introduced in some smaller cities and towns in Europe. But he says that much less attention gets given to the bigger European cities that are seeking to emulate what Vienna did. Now, Vienna offers you a 365 euro a year travel pass. So obviously one euro a day buys mm. you, you know, your unlimited travel on public transport. And Jonathan's words, it's striking, it's simple, it's cheap to use while still raising some revenue. Mm. So obviously a, a one pound, say, say we did a 365 mm. pound uh you know that might be a catching uh, an eye-catching policy that a uh, a mayor might seek to to introduce mm. at some stage, but obviously it, it 
that you are potentially going to, well, you are going to deprive public transport of a huge amount of revenue. Mm. You might generate some revenue over the time, but presumably you couldn't run a network like that commercially. You would, you would no. have to, you would, you'd need some ongoing subsidy. But there may people may believe there is a case for that in terms of other outcomes we want to achieve, whether it's yeah. the, I mean, the, the, the myriad of, of, of a government objectives that the bus can deliver on. I mean, if you look at what um, Cornwall's about to launch with, you know, superbus networks, I know Barrow's Fear has problems realising what that concept is, but, um, yeah, they're about to do a, a subsidised fares pilot. Could you not do something similar, you know, using that sort of methodology? Yeah, I, I think that, it's, that that may well be something they look at mm. um, in terms of... It could be quite an eye-catching policy, I think. So, so. I think that's 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 all from us. I think we'll 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 wrap up mm. at that point, will we? I think there's there's much more, obviously, in the latest edition of the magazine, but that's all we have time for. We've come to the end of our podcast. Before I go, I always ask Andrew what his plans are for the week ahead. We're we're well, just a lot a lot of work, really, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, I'm going to be tuning into the transport focus board meeting at two o'clock. Oh. So Baroness Fear is actually addressing that, so I'm looking forward to. We might get some further insights on the. On the strategy, and uh, it's always interesting to attend those transport focus events. Mm. Uh, but but what well, you that? know, I've got plenty on. You know, I've got I've got tomato plants that need to be potted out. <laughs> so that's that's what's coming up for me. What about you? <laughs> I did consider growing tomatoes on the balcony, but I, I think I'm a bit late to plant them at this stage. I know. Aren't I? Yeah, I've got some dahlias as well. <laughs> Come back Very next good. time for more gardening tips. Yes, like Gardener's World, isn't it? Before we go, as ever, I want to say a big thank you to our subscribers. If you don't subscribe, you're missing out. Yes. Just visit passengertransport.co.uk for details, and you can save 25% by using the following promo code. Discount25, all one word. At the online checkout. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pastrans and join our LinkedIn group, Passenger Transport Magazine. And if you must, you can follow Andrew on Twitter no, at AndrewGarnet78. Don't bother. No. <laughs> so we've reached our terminus. Everyone should alight here. We look forward to joining you all again in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>